We are finally starting our series in Romans. This has been a dream for many, many years here at Hope. And this week, um, our senior pastor, Steve Treichler, some of you may uh, know, planted our church with a team of people over 25 years ago. And one of his dreams even then was to someday get to do a series in the book of Romans. It's been a book that has influenced him and so many. Um, it's, it's a real, at the heart of hope, we, we have an annual retreat for a whole week. People stay all day long for a whole week. Uh, people study the book of Romans and uh, we're often using the book of Romans. It's, it's really a, uh, we're going to talk more about Romans, obviously for a while here, but this week, I say that all because this week Steve called me and every once in a while as our senior pastor, uh, he calls me and says, Hey, every once in a while, I can just ask you to do something and you just need to do it. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Okay. What does that mean? I'm like, I do have a lot of stuff going on this week. And he said, uh, I'm going to send you some videos of old wrestling intros. You need to put them together for this thing. <laughs> I was like, this, you're going to use your once a year. Okay, you could use your once a year. <laughs> and I felt like, wow, we got to use it if we haven't. <laughs> we are thrilled to get to start this book of Romans um, and uh, do it all together uh, for the next while. Uh, our plan is to do this for the next two years. We'll finish in 2024. Uh, and, and not the whole time, but each spring and fall, we're going to spend our time in the book of Romans. We've divided it into four kind of sections, uh, kind of how the book is laid out. And so this spring, we get to go through chapters one to three, and then four to eight in the fall, and nine to 11, and 12 to 16 in spring of 24. Is that weird even to think that that's a time that we all exist still? Uh, <laughs> makes me feel kind of old and cool. So we're starting uh, today our, the book of Romans. And for the next two years, we're going to study it during spring and fall. And, and in uh, summer and Christmas time, we'll take some breaks for Easter. But uh, for a while, we're going to be in this book, which um, I'm really excited about. And today we get to start our first section of Romans, which we're calling the good news um, and the gospel. And so uh, thrilled about that. You're going to get to hopefully write lots of notes in your Bibles in the book of Romans and take lots of opportunities to do that. There's a few resources and there'll be even more coming as the year goes on. You can always go to hopecc.com slash resources. And we have also, that's where we have all of our messages from many years back. Uh, we have small group studies and devotionals and articles that Hopesters have written. We have music on there that people have uh, created from Hope and podcasts. One of our podcasts is Pastor Steve. After many years, 20 plus years of leading a Roman study every year and lots of study in the book of Romans, he decided to create a podcast. And so this year um, as a really a resource to our church. And so he walks through pretty slowly uh, all of Romans. And so he's just kind of in the middle of it now, but I uh, love if you want even more information to think more about it, um, to process more of Romans, it's a great opportunity you get to hang out with Steve um, and he will untangle Romans for you in Romans Untangled. We also, for all of you or, or anyone who'd like it, we have bought as a church a bunch of these. I love these. These are um, like scripture journals. And so one side of the page is scripture and one side's just blank. Um, and so we have bought a whole box of these. They're on the communion tables. If, if you would use this and it would bless you, um, it's kind of nice sometimes when you're slowly going through a book to just have something. And even kind of as a moment in your history to have this book that will hopefully be marked up and written in. And uh, you can use it to journal or write or... Uh, take notes or whatever you like, but we have these for you. So if you want, when you take communion day, you can grab one and use it for the next two years, maybe as a, as a way to study and really dig into Romans uh, with all of us. All right, so we're going to get going here. In the book of Romans, we got a lot to do 
in just a few years. And so here we go. We're starting uh, in Romans 1. Today, our passage is Romans 1, 1. All right, friends, here we go. Book of Romans, Paul, a servant of, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This introduces the letter of Romans that was written. Um, talk about that in a moment, but written to the people in Rome. And um, a man named Paul wrote it. So today, the scripture we are going to study is the word Paul. Uh, I promise you the whole book will not go one word at a time. <laughs> we'll be here forever. Uh, but today we want to stop and look at the person who wrote this book. Now, the reason we want to look at it is because um, it's important to understand who, who that person is. And I think really important to see uh, the, the change that Paul has in his life to understand his story changes when you open a book. When you hear words from someone and you understand where they're coming from, it really changes the weight, right? And even understanding uh, what's going on. So this is helpful, hopefully maybe for some of you, but this is kind of how a message is sent and received, uh, just basically. So there's a person who's a sender. Today, we're looking at Paul, the person who sent this, and he encodes it. So he takes what he has learned and experienced and what for us is, this is scripture, what the Holy Spirit, what God has put on his heart in his, in his mind, and he puts that down, has someone write it, he writes in a book, in a, in a message, this is a letter that he writes to these people, and then the actual thing, the actual letter is the message. So Paul takes his stuff and he encodes it into a thing, just like we all do this, right? If you send a text, you have a thought or a thing, and you decide how you're going to communicate that, hopefully, so that someone else can receive it properly. And then the actual message for us is the book of Romans, so we get to actually look at this book of Romans that Paul, many years ago, encoded and put into the book, and then it gets decoded and lands with some people. And so if you sent a message to someone, a friend then would hear boop, boop, and they would look at their phone, and they would read the word, and then they would go, okay, I know who that person is, and kind of what they're about, and then I know what these words mean, and this is probably what they're trying to communicate to me, right? This is uh, just how communication works. And so next week, Aaron is going to actually help us understand a little more of who the receivers are, kind of what life was like, what that place was like, actually a lot of how that looks similar to who we are and how our hearts are and how our minds are. And so why would he be sending it and what would be happening there? And so we're going to look at this book of Romans, but this is a book that was ultimately originally written by a guy named Paul and sent to people in Rome. And so the book of Romans, we like to say, wasn't written to you. This book wasn't, Paul wasn't writing it to the church in Columbia Heights, but it was written for us. So Paul wrote this letter and there's so much we can learn and understand, especially from this book. And Paul uh, wanted people to understand, ultimately cling to Jesus as he always does. And that's our hope too in this book is to do that. So let's look at Paul today and get a little better understanding of who he is. Um, and I think hopefully will make us even more excited to open the words that he has for us and this message that he sent to Rome and that, that is um, uh, hopefully will encourage us also to follow Jesus. So here's Paul, here's two photographs that I found online of, of the apostle Paul, Paul or St. Paul, Saul. He wrote just a little quick stats, like the back of his baseball card. He wrote 13 of the 27 books, we think, of the New Testament. That's a lot. We read a lot of Paul. He was born between five and five. <laughs> It's kind of cool, kind of around when Jesus was born. So probably around that same age. He died at the hand of Nero's reign uh, just after the fires, if you're aware of that history, probably around 68 AD. 
He wrote 13, oh, we know this, 13 to 27 books. He planted a lot of churches. He persecuted Christians. He was also an apostle. Weird, weird stats, huh? Kill, killed people, Christians. Also was a person who went and planted churches. Interesting history. This is what we're going to look at today. I think it's important to see these quick stats, the back of a baseball card, but that still doesn't really get us understanding who this person is. Why should I listen to these words? Why would this book be important? Why would who Paul is or his experience be important? It makes me think of um, like when I, when I went to a conference and they do like the introduction of the person, they tell you like all the books they read and all the things they've done. It kind of it hopefully tries to encourage you to go like, oh, I should listen to them because they wrote books. Um, maybe that encourages you, maybe not. Sometimes I'm like, eh, is that true? Are those true? Uh, I think for me, it's even more encouraging when I'm sitting with a person and listening to their story and all of a sudden they start talking about things that they've felt or experienced that I felt and experienced. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, I can connect to that. I understand that. You, you've been in the same place. Now I want to know where you've been with that. What has changed you? How have you seen that difference in your life, especially when I've witnessed the power in someone's life, especially the power of Christ and the gospel changing someone's life. If I sit with someone and I hear a story of them, uh, a good friend of mine, when I was early in my faith, I shared with him how I had trouble sleeping because I'd lay in bed and worry a lot. And so it'd take me an hour or two hours to fall asleep because I would just think through the whole day and worry about the next day or week. And they said, oh, that happened a lot to me. I went, oh, I didn't know other people experienced that. And they, they shared how their life in prayer and also better understanding how God did have things in control, how God uh, did have you in his hands, how uh, he, he was ahead of you actually really helped them. Their theology actually helped change them and knowing Christ changed them. And I remember sitting in like every word they said I was thinking and I was taking <laughs> notes of like, how do I sleep more? Oh, it actually is connected to the gospel. It's because I experienced their own, like heard the story of their own change and how Christ had changed them. And so that's our hope today is to hear a little bit of Paul's story and understand and see this incredible thing that Christ does in his life. And hopefully then say, oh, I'm excited to hear him and more what he has to say as he's experienced and encountered Christ. So let's hop into, uh, well, we're reading actually, it's cool with Paul because we actually get some really cool moments in his story. And we don't always get that with people in scripture, much of their story. Sometimes you just get their name. And so Paul, we're going to hear a little bit more about. Now, this is kind of later after we hear Paul, uh, his life as someone who has uh, helped many people know Jesus and he's clinging to Jesus. This is kind of how he explains his life. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among many people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So he's explaining, you've heard the stories of my old life. We're going to hear that a little bit. And, and I, was, I was so good at this. I was a young guy who was ahead of the old guys. And I was, I, I was doing everything I should. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was carrying on this tradition and I was really good at it. But then he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He says, there was a change that happened. A person came to me. 
I love, even in this, we're going to see in his story, there's a change from really a, a following of a, of a system and a, maybe a, a law and a religion to a following and a relationship with a person. So this story, we actually get a zoomed in, more detailed version of this story. Let's go way back into Paul, at this point called Saul's life when he was that guy, when he was young and zealous and he was getting things done and he was hustling and he was, he was making it happen in the way he thought life was supposed to happen. This is in the book of Acts. This is a moment in the church history that's incredible. A moment when a man named Stephen is willing to stand up and he ultimately preaches the gospel. He shares that God has created all things and man has fallen away from God and Christ has come to rescue them. He shares this great uh, sermon and then uh, they end up killing Stephen. And this is sort of like in, those, in a movie where you're following one story and then you sort of, uh, they pan away from the, the character you thought you are following and you meet like a new character. Well, this is where we kind of get to meet uh, Saul in that way. Now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is talking about Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed to get together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. So this, this is cool. This is a story of a man who faithfully is saying, even as I'm being stoned, even as I'm being killed by people for, for sharing my faith, for following Jesus, uh, please, Lord, forgive them. It really, right, he's just really overflowing, really uh, model. He's really just, Christ has changed him. And now he's willing to say the same words that Jesus has said as he was dying. And while this is happening, there's a man named Saul standing there, watching this, encouraging it this happening. And Saul approved of this execution. This is where the music would get like eerie and dark and maybe like the, the filter and the screen would change and it would get dark and you kind of get like a zoomed in face of like angry, wrinkly Saul. And you go, oh, we don't like this guy. This is the guy we're not supposed to like. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. See, so this is this moment where people are scattered all over. They go out because there's great persecution and not not just like people are talking poorly about them in comments on Facebook, but like people are getting dragged out of their homes and thrown into jail. People are being killed for their faith in Christ. And who was right in the middle of that? Saul, it says he's ravaging the church. What a good word, right? That you can feel that word. This is, this is the man who we're excited to read his book of Romans. And this is where we find him a man who is very zealous in his religion to the point of, of saying, we got to stop these Christians and what they're saying. It's pretty, uh, 
pretty disqualifying, I would say. <laughs> this is where the story stopped. Uh, hey, we're going to read this book by this guy. He's killed a lot of Christians, and he's very angry about it. You'd say, oh, I'm not sure why he's the one we picked <laughs> to read a book. <laughs> Thankfully, thank God the story doesn't stop here. But the story goes on, and we get to read a credible change in an encounter he has with Jesus. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, this is the way, right? Jesus and as Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he went and said, hey, I, uh, I love it. it. says even breathing, like just on his breath, there is threats and murder and death and darkness. And he says, hey, I want permission to go drag more people out of their homes and bring them to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, right? He's going to grab more people and throw them in prison. He's against God's family and his, his home in this sense. He's, he thinks these people are, uh, you know, are, are not following what God wants. And this is his reaction. But he's on this road <clears throat> and suddenly a light from heaven shone, shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate or drank. Or drank. What an experience. He is marching his way to a city to persecute more people for their faith in Jesus. And Jesus meets him on a road. And what a moment he has. I mean, the bright light, it, the, it was overwhelming enough that he falls to his knees. Who are you? And it's, I'm, it's, it's me, it's Jesus. And Jesus covers his eyes so that Paul now is in darkness. I can't imagine what he's, feeling they, they take him to the city and he sits, doesn't eat, doesn't drink. He's just without. He's in darkness. He's not having food or drink, just sitting. Imagine maybe what was he thinking? We don't even get to, to know what he was thinking. I could imagine I was be thinking, am I dying? Did I hallucinate? Is God so angry with me about something that he made me blind? They sin in some way? Is Jesus not who I thought he was? Is he more than that? Is he actually God? Is he who these people say he is that I've been persecuting and imprisoning and killing? Is my religion, my, my zeal, my passion for the law and for the Lord not the way it's supposed to be? I wonder, if, I wonder if he had moments of like, am I actually without if I don't have Jesus? Am I actually getting to like live out what I've actually been living in blindness and darkness? I thought they were blind. Maybe I'm the one who's blind and living in darkness. And there he sits. And God uses a man there in Damascus. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man named Tarsus, uh, a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he's been in a vision of a man. He has a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might again uh, regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to our saints in Jerusalem. You can imagine, to the point, he has a reputation. Oh, I know who Saul is. He's the one we have to hide from. He's the one who's going to drag us out of our homes because of our faith. Why why would I go to to this man? I've heard about him, the things he's done in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Lord, why would I go to him? He's looking for us. And he even has the authority. He's been given the opportunity and the right to come and take us. The Lord said to him, go for he has chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Uh, That's not a sentence you want, (laughs) David. The Lord saying, I'm gonna show him how much he gets to suffer for me. (laughs) He says, oh, I'm gonna use this. This person, the Lord says, Ananias, uh, remember, this is how I work. I take people you'd never think, the most disqualified people, and I change them and make them new. And they help more people know this good news. And so Ananias does it. So Ananias departed and entered the house. I can't imagine how nervous that would be, how scary that would be. He's walking to the person who has been hurting his people, instead of hiding, and he lays his hands on him and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What a What a moment, what a moment in life he gets to act out salvation. He gets to go from a a life of blindness, of darkness, uh, uh, of not having any nutrition to a moment where he can see and he's strengthened again. And he has family. You know how he calls him? His first thing he says to him is brother Saul. I wonder even how that, in that moment of, Saul laying there and, and maybe all these things coming together, all, these, all this history and life coming together. I have to wonder if he saw and looked at Ananias and was like, I, I finally have family. Or even just he lays his hands on him and says, brother Saul, I wonder what would have kind of washed over him. Saying, I have family here that's come to see me. And now he can see. He can hear, he can love well, he's satisfied, he's fulfilled, he's strengthened. All of his heart's desires that he thought acting in religious zealous ways, even fighting against the people he thought were the enemy, all those desires have now been fulfilled in a person named Jesus. They changed him, he's new. He's now zealous for Jesus. He's now in the business of pulling people from their homes of darkness into a family of light, from the grip of Satan into the loving arms of a heavenly father. He's now given a mission 
by God, which is the opposite. His life has flipped over. He now goes to people to bring life rather than going and pulling them into darkness. It's incredible. What a change. If I sat across from Paul having coffee, that'd be incredible because he's not alive, but I, he told me the story, I'd say, I want to know more about that change. How does that happen? Who is this Jesus? Tell me more. And what does that look like? And how can I continue to run towards Jesus in a way that would change me like that? Well, Paul shares a little bit more about how he feels about his life in the book of Philippians. He kind of actually gives us a little more of, of what the important thing is. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who manipulate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worshiped by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So listen to this now. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. I have reason for confidence in who I am and my strength and what I have done. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love that. I was circumcised on the eighth day. So important in his tradition. Of the people of Israel, so important. Of the tribe of Benjamin, so good. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He's like, I was born in the right family. I was raised right. I worked really hard. I obeyed all the rules. I was a Pharisee. I was like the leader of the guys following the rules. And zeal, I was so zealous, so passionate. I was willing to hurt, kill, imprison people who were against us. I was so good at all of this. And as to righteousness under the law, if it was about following rules so God would love me and care for me, blameless. I had that down. But whatever gain I had, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He just kind of shares the gospel for us, that our righteousness, our goodness, our standing does not come because we're so good at stuff. It's because Jesus is so good to us. And he says, oh, the worth of that. Do you hear this phrase? I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He doesn't say because of the worth of me following Jesus's rules, right? Or because Jesus really likes me. He says, just knowing him is better than all things. Man, Paul, I want to hang out with you more. I want, I want, I want some of this. Do you have a friend that you ever hang out with and you leave and you're like, I need to hang out with him more often. Uh, I just hung out with some friends yesterday and they left and I just thought, man, I just feel refreshed. My day is better. I need to hang out with you more. Paul is someone I want to hang out with. We get to hang out with. Because indeed, following Christ changes everything. So um, I, this week I got to see a video, or I watched a video. It was actually a news clip. Um, and uh, I, I guess my algorithms are weird because I get lots of news clips 
about church stuff. I guess it's probably because my job. And so I saw this clip. I guess it's not weird. It's just good algorithms. I saw this clip and there's moments uh, kind of, uh, I, I love one of my favorite things is watching a movie or looking at art or hanging out with friends or even like playing a game and in it, things happen and it reminds me of, of like gospel truth, right? It reminds me of, of good things that we hear about who Jesus is or it reminds me of, of like, oh, that's so glad that's not how things actually work. And this week I saw this really interesting story. I didn't know this history. It's a kind of cool history in this little town. Um, it's a history about a, epiphany that I think the Greek Orthodox Church does in this little town. And it just rang so true because it feels like the story of Paul uh, before he sees Christ. So I want to show you, I'm just going to show you the news clip that came up this week for me. Um, and then I want us to do a little, a little opportunity like to process this through the gospel. So I think this is, this is really at the heart of why Paul writes Romans. And it's really the heart of why we're excited to hear Paul's words in Romans. So here's a little clip from uh, Fox 13. I don't even know what this is. Uh, and this is Tarpon Springs and their Epiphany Celebration. Thousands of people came to Spring Bayou today for the 117th Epiphany Celebration in Tarpon Springs. It's the largest Epiphany Celebration in the Western Hemisphere. After a service at St. Nicholas Cathedral, 65 young men jumped into the bayou to retrieve the wooden cross that the Archbishop threw into the water. The ceremony symbolizes the baptism of Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. Fox 13's Kaylee Tracy spoke with the 16-year-old who retrieved the cross and is now said to have a year of blessings. After the Archbishop blessed the water and a white dove was released signifying the Holy Spirit, 65 teenage boys dove into Spring Bayou after a wooden cross the Archbishop threw into the water. It's just unbelievable. You just don't believe it. It's in your hands. In a matter of seconds, Tarpon Springs 16-year-old George Stamis found the cross and held it in the air. I've always wanted to dive. My cousins have dove. My dad has dove. My whole family. And now I get to and I've retrieved the cross. The other young men carried him on their shoulders to the church down the block. They shouted Axios on the way, which means worthy. As thousands watched the celebration in its 117th year. Epiphany also symbolizes the end of the Christmas season and the beginning of the new year. Stamis is the quarterback at Tarpon Springs High School, and he says he's been looking forward to this day since he was little. His cousin and his great-grandfather have also retrieved the cross at past ceremonies. We're going to cherish it. I mean, God blessed us for this to happen, so it's a blessing, so it's for a reason. Stamis says he jumped in the bayou last night as a test run and said a prayer, his family beaming with pride. Georgie's always been a very good kid and a beautiful heart, and I think that he bestowed it upon George because it's going to set the stage for big, big things in his life, and I'm looking forward to standing by and, and being next to him and watching those things unfold. In Tarpon Springs, Kaylee Tracy, Fox 13 News. Mm. Is that, I didn't know that was a thing. I spent like a good hour of my week. Uh, like what a fascinating tradition. And, it, and the tradition really is uh, kind of a symbol, right? It's symbolizing like Jesus coming out of the water, baptized, and then they carry, they would, you know, symbolically carry Jesus as the worthy one uh, saying like, we're, you know, the dove was released. So it's all symbolism. It's um, so, I mean, it's, Great. I think that's a fun festival. They also said it's like the largest festival in their community. It brings in tons of money and they have this, like all these big fun party things that happen. It's really fascinating. But I, this, if you didn't know what this was, right? If you just stumbled upon a park and there was like a bunch of teenage guys in boats and they were about to die, you're like, what's going to happen? I kind of want to, I mean, I'd love to witness this. 
But I think what an image, right? Not, not the thing they're actually doing, but just the picture of this so much rang true in my heart uh, of what we hear in the story of Paul. Strong young boys who've worked really hard, who are the quarterbacks of their high school football teams, dive into the water, the best swimmer, the strongest one, dives down in and gets the cross. He wins. Did you hear actually he wins a year of blessings? There's another interview with him. He said, I can't wait for my year of blessings. Um, it feels like, like a punch card, like 367 days though. No blessings, but for the next year, he'll receive this year of blessings. Only the one who emerges though, he's victorious. He's carried on the shoulders. He's called worthy because of his great deeds. His, his, his father is happy with him. He's excited for his bright future. And Paul tells us, I lived this life. I lived the life. I was the best at it. I was the strongest at it. I was a strong, fit, young boy who could dive in. I could fight the other guys off. I wouldn't drown. I could come up victorious with the cross. My zeal was contagious. I was worthy. They wanted to carry me on their shoulders. They would send me out together and persecute more people. I thought I was blessed, at least until I would sin again. I thought I was blessed because I worked so hard. I thought I was right with God because I'd done everything I needed to do. Because I came out of the water, because I had gotten the cross, because I was the best. And then Paul meets Jesus. Everything changes. He sits for a few days in darkness and he gets to think through all of life and all of God's plan to rescue his people that for thousands of years, his people tried their hardest to be the strongest and the best and to follow the rules the right way. And then realizes in that moment, his heart's changed. Oh, it wasn't about me doing all that work. It was about resting in Christ who does all that work. It's about Jesus who goes into the depths, comes up with the cross, comes out of the grave, victorious. He's the one who's worthy. He's the one we hold up and yell, worthy, worthy. He's the one who has blessings upon blessings, not for one year, but for all eternity. And here's what's incredible. Jesus comes out of the water and then he hands every single person in that crowd a cross. He hands every single boy on the boats a cross. He hands the archdiocese crew crosses. He's walking down the street and he hands out crosses to everyone else. He says, the work I've done to gather this is not mine, just mine, but I want you to come with me. My victory now is your victory. My goodness is your goodness. My righteousness now is on you. If you say just yes to me. You're drowning. You're fighting to, to find that cross and you won't. But I'm here and I found it and I want you with me. This is the good news that Paul experienced. That, that me fighting to be the one who gets it and wins doesn't work. But me sitting in darkness doing nothing, allowing Christ to do the work and then saying yes to Jesus, turning to him changes everything and is worth more than all the rest of things to me. And so this is what we get to hear in this book of Romans. We're gonna get the opportunity to hear Paul, 
uh, write a letter to this church and for us to understand how good it is that Jesus has come. That no matter how much zeal, how much obedience, how much hustle and religiousness we have, Christ comes and does this work and says, I want to give you my righteousness. And that changes us to become people like Paul, who then goes on to plant churches, to willing to give his life. In fact, gives his life, willing to encourage others to follow Jesus. But he doesn't do those things just because he's trying to get Jesus to give him something. Jesus has given him everything. And now he can't wait to live a life that way. So without Christ, we have nothing. But with Christ, Paul tells us we have everything. And this power of Christ can change our eyes to see light and life around us. And his spirit can transform us, resurrect us and resurrect our hearts and minds and souls. I can't wait for Paul to just encourage us in that, remind us of that, help us see maybe the things we've turned to that aren't Jesus. And, and, I, and I pray we'd get some rest in the book of Romans. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going to spend a few minutes just worshiping Jesus together as we sing. A couple of things for you to consider and reflect on as we respond to this good news of the gospel. First, just have you encountered Jesus? Have you found Jesus? I found him as he found you. Uh, Have you encountered Jesus? Uh, Love to talk to you more about that Uh, and pray even today. This is why we meet so that we can encounter him each week together. Consider what darkness, sin that you have that, Jesus, that you need Jesus to light up or heal. What, what do you feel like you, how have you turned away? And, and where today could you pray even just confess and turn back to Jesus? Ask yourself who's reminding you that Jesus does change everything, that he is worthy, that he is better than everything. Who helps remind you of that? And who do you know who seems really far from God? The story of Paul Every time hits me and I go, oh, there are people I think, uh, you're, there's no way. There's no way. Paul would be a guy. There's no way. Who's that person? Who, who could you even begin to pray for to see draw close? A few ways we respond here is uh, by singing together. Our worship team is going to do that, help lead us in that now. We also take communion. Communion is an opportunity to celebrate, to remember this gift that God's given us, that Christ has died, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that yours would not, that he paid the price for us and then he rose. And we get to celebrate that by having this meal together. And so we have a communion out in the hallway. You don't have to be a member here to take communion. We just ask your follower of Jesus as you go and take that symbol and pray um, on both sides. There's that out there um, at the communion tables. Um, we also encourage you to consider praying. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Um, you just walk up and they would love to pray for you for anything. Um, you can also respond just by giving. You can do that on, on our website. Let me pray for us and then we can respond together. Lord, you're good to us. Oh, you're good. You've changed us. That you come to us even as we are far from you, even as we are against you. What a good God. What a loving God. What a powerful God that can do that. And I pray today that we would encounter you right now as we sing these words, as we take communion, as we pray, that we would encounter you and it would warm our hearts. It would light up our hearts that our eyes would become open, that we'd leave here changed and that this week you'd use us to help more people know this good news. Amen.